And while you're taking your seat, you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Prayers have already been prayed and the table has been set. Praise and worship, magnify God Almighty and praise God. We're all here. How y'all doing this morning? It has been a week, hasn't it? It has been a week. From Sunday to Sunday, a lot of stuff has happened, hasn't it? Fall actually came. The temperatures dropped. Rain is trying to creep in. We need it, but it's, the weather has changed. The earth is shaking. Everything's going on. It's a, the whole northern part of Georgia smelled like smoke all the way down to downtown Atlanta. And just think, all this is in response to the tragedy of the week. The tragedy being the University of Michigan failed at the hands of Iowa. What y'all clapping for? You're not clapping for, no, it's a rebuke. Praise God. No, but a lot has happened. And I don't think the Holy Spirit could, do, could have done a better job in ministering to us and encouraging us the way that Pastor Gregory did last week when you understand that we're fighting from victory and not for victory. So no matter what side of the spectrum you are on as far as this election was concerned, when you understand whose you are and who you are, you win. I heard, overheard a woman talking to a younger lady, and all I heard was, I don't know what happened beforehand, but she was like, look here. <laughs> so you already know what kind of woman I was witnessing. She said, look here. I done survived the civil rights movement. I didn't survive the poverty after divorce. I survived the LA riots and Hurricane Katrina. I didn't survive the loss of a child. And last thing, the last time I checked, it was God, Jesus on the throne that got me through. And she went on to say, now if these Christians, if these believers around here believe in the power of prayer, which I for one do, she said, what did she say? She said, this man being elected might have been the best, might end up being the best thing to happen to this country. She says, but this one thing I know for sure, he's somewhere in the will of God. So no matter where you stand on this whole issue, just know there's only one king. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wharf entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. Understand that when you understand that you are, how many people in here are Christians? Y'all remember that song? I'm a soldier in the army. I'm messing up the beat and everything. You enlisted to be a part of God's army, and you are charged to endure hardship, to endure adversity, whatever it may look like, like a good soldier. But you also know and understand that you don't get involved. We have a responsibility, but we don't get entangled, wrapped up, subdued. We don't let the course of what's going on here on earth determine who we are and where we are. We don't get entangled. And when you understand that, you understand that your perspective is to please the one who enlisted you in the first place. Amen? So, with that being said, 
Last week, Pastor Gregory, talking about fighting from victory, I'm going to talk a little bit in continuation of what he ministered on last week. And that is just simply the title would be From Victory. From Victory. And I'm going to pull out some of the things that he ministered on, but I believe the Spirit of God just led me to talk about the reality of what that looks like and why it was such a necessary message and why it is a necessary message even today. Because, see, the reality is, is that even though we have this understanding, we have this belief, we have this knowledge that we've already won, the reality is that life hits us, and when life hits us, it hurts. It's painful. It's embarrassing. It was unpredictable. And in some cases, it just seems grievous and hard to overcome. That's the reality that we face, and which is why we feel like we're fighting for the victory. But when you, when you, when you get to this place where, you know what, storms happen, and I'm enduring the storm, I'm enduring the process towards my victory, then you can possibly place your hope somewhere else. And understand that in the midst of storms, there are lessons to be learned. So I ask you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. So I hope you all are there. And I'm going to read it here from the King James. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who was he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. How many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? How many of you believe that God loves you? Now, either some of you don't believe God loves you, or some of you are just still tired and don't want to raise your hand. For real, how many of you believe that God loves you? How many of you just truly can profess and, and acknowledge that I, with all that I know, love God? And this is what he has to say here. He says, he's, ta he's talking about for when you realize that, he just got to talk about when you realize what he did and how much he loves you, this is how we respond to his love. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his command. This is how we respond to God's love, that we keep his commandments. That word keep there is the Greek word tereo. And that word there means simply to guard from loss or injury. But when you break down the root word ray, that root word ray speaks to focus. It speaks to vision. So basically it also means properly by keeping an eye upon. So that word there to keep means we keep our eye and our focus upon his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. That word grievous there is the Greek word baros. And the Greek word baros there is a picture of a bar that has two heavy jugs, basins, basically, of water or some type of contact, meaning that it's weighty, it's burdensome, it's heavy, or it's hard. And then, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh, that word overcometh, same root word, Nike, that we talked about last week. And if you didn't, wasn't here last week, I encourage you to go on SoundCloud to hear that message. It'll just, it'll just really bless you. But the root word is Nike, but the actual Greek word here for overcometh is Nikeo. And that word means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail, to get the victory, ultimately to win. And so when we interpret this according to the definition, we understand for this is the love. This is how we respond to God's love towards us. 
that we keep our focus, we keep our eyes, we keep our intentions, we keep our uh, energy focused on his commandments. And his commandments, they're not heavy, they're not hard, they're not burdensome, they're not meant to take us out. For whatsoever is born of God, that person uh, uh, is sub that person subdues, that person conquers, they prevail against, they get the victory, they win over the conditions of this world. And this is the victory, this is the uh, uh, prevailing, this is the overcoming, this is the conquering that overcomes the world, even our faith. So your faith, what you believe in, what you are firmly persuaded about, what you are uh, convicted about, what you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, according to his word and his commandments, is what aids you in overcoming the world. Now, understand that victory, no victory, no success, comes without sacrifice and commitment. Amen? There's an enduring that you have to go through to get that victory, even when it's promised. Speaking earlier, my daughter runs track, and, and, you know, being in the track world, you know, it's a whole other world, and you get to know some of these other athletes, and you notice, take notice of the supreme, superior type of athletes and, and everything else. And so um, there's this one young lady. She works hard. She's been working hard since the womb. And you should see her. when she, she, she is number one in the world right here in Atlanta, Georgia, for her events. She the girl's bad. She's a little bit thin. And, you know, when you, before you run in a track meet, you get a heat sheet, and you see, and you get a psych sheet. That psych sheet, psychological sheet, it shows you the best times of all these other runners that you're running up against. And so she's, she, she's diligent. She studies it, but because she knows she's number one in the world, she knows that the chances are 99.9% she's going to win. And you see her walk up to the starting line. And you should see her when she's at the block, and she's doing her jump, and, and you know, you know what they do track runners. I ain't even going to try it. I mean, they jump so high, stretching and, and all this. And she's, at, and, and, and one time just talking to her, she said, all I see is the finish line. All I see is the finish line. When you know you win, there's a certain swag about you. There's a certain kind of confidence about you. There's just brushing the dust off of your shoulders about you. There's this wiping the sweat off your brow, if you sweat at all. Some of you just too cool to sweat. And we say this. We declare this. We believe this. But what happens when you have to bury your child? What happens when you've been diagnosed with something that's terminal? What happens when they put the big sticker with red letters on your front door saying evicted or foreclosure? What happens when you're visiting your baby in jail? What happens when your spouse is stepping out on you? Reality is storms hit. And that is the time greater than any other measure that you have to have that same swag, that same cool, that same... getting you through. Now, when we know, you all proclaimed, y'all raised your hand, most of you, 98% of you said, okay, I believe God loves me. We love 
me and Pastor Gregory, we love us some Joel and Joel Gregory II. These kids don't know how good. They, don't, they, they got it so good, they can't even begin. My son told us, listen, my life is so good, it's hard for me to imagine what you're talking about. He told us that one time, didn't he? I, I, I can't, I, I, I don't understand what you're talking about, but okay. Because every good parent has, as far as they know and as well as they are intended and as well as they are informed and, and positioned, they try to set life up so that that child can maneuver through life winning. Every good parent does, from the conversations at night to the prayers before mealtime to the discipline and the spankings and the beatings that you get. Every parent's greatest intention is to see that child become successful in life. How much more your father? And this is what he assures us of in 1 John chapter 5. He says, hey, when you know God loves you, then your response to his love is no greater. There's no greater response to his love than for you to keep your eyes Focus not on the circumstances and the situations that surround you, but on his commandments. Because his commandments are proven and true. And when you do that, you overcome. When you do that, you win. How many of you remember January 29th, 2014? Some of you are like, Ugh. January 29th, 2014 was that great day of the mega ice storm in Atlanta. And we woke up that morning with a plan take the kids to school, do some things. We had lunch with, his, uh, with a father figure in, in my husband's life. Good time. And then 1 o'clock in the afternoon, it's looking grim. And they said, it's ice. It's ice falling. My day was supposed to be over with at about 4.35 o'clock. Our kids was like, everything's canceled. Come get us now. My husband and I set out from Buckhead with the destination being home. Both of us set out from Buckhead with our destination being home. I took one route, he took the other route. He endured the stop and go of traffic. Me and my slick butt decided to try to take some back roads. So it was a matter of who could get to the kids first, and that was who was going to get them. We were both racing to get the kids. And whoever got there first was going to get them. Needless to say, ice is falling from the sky. The storm is brewing. It's intensifying. It's getting greater and greater. But instead of me keeping the straight course going to directly to, I decided to take these sidetrack roads. I didn't get home until 24 hours later. My husband, he endured the traffic, stop and go nonetheless, but he got there first, got my kids. He still took some time to get home, but at least he got home by 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Am I right? About 4 o'clock in the morning? Oh, see, you barely beat me. Our destination was the same, but our routes were different. And because our routes were different, one of us suffered more and had to endure more than the other. Let's talk about somebody else's storm. There's lessons to be learned in the storm. And when you're coming from this place of victory, you're conscious of the lessons. And you are steadfast, focused on his commandments, his promises, what he says. He says that the promises of God are yes and amen. He said, my, behold, my body, it was broken so that you may be healed. My blood is shed so that you can have eternal life. I've made the covenant true and true for you. And so when you come in from this place of victory, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get past the pain of the loss. I'm going to get past this surgery and these, these treatments. I'm going to get past 
living in this house because the house will determine who I am anyway. I can move to an apartment and start over. I'm going to get past living in a shelter. I'm going to get past these treatments. I'm going to get past my son or my daughter being in the way. I'm going to get past these bad reports. I'm going to get past being unemployed. When you can come to this place where I win, let's just go past it. I'm not negating. I'm not minimizing the hurt. I'm not minimizing the pain. We're in ministry. We see it all day, every day. I give hospitals money on parking fees every single week. So I'm not minimizing what life brings. I'm not minimizing the storm, but I'm maximizing the God who will get you through the storm. Turn with me to Acts chapter 27. Let's talk about somebody else's storm. And let's look at the lessons that we can learn in the storm. When you are coming from victory. Now, let me give you the backdrop. Acts 27, 23, I mean, previous, Acts 26, Paul, he preached a magnanimous message. And he ministered, and it was great impact, both politically and socially in the area. And so the, the, the Jews were like, we got to seize this person because no one's supposed to. Then we forbid you to preach this Christ. And so they seize him, and they bring him into prison. And they wanted to kill him, but they couldn't. Too many witnesses. So they bring him before King Agrippa and say, King Agrippa, kill him. King Agrippa, you know, being cool. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Back up. Paul, what's going on now? What are they talking about? And Paul, just being just as bold as he was before, he says, listen, I was the chiefest of persecutors of the Christians. I was the one who brought them more turmoil and havoc, more affliction and pain than any other, and was held a hero by these very same people. I, 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 I persecuted, I molested, I beat, I scourged, I imprisoned, I tore apart families of these Christians. I was the chiefest of them. And then while I was on my way to step up my game, I was arrested on the road to Damascus, King Agrippa. And on that road to Damascus, I had this incredible experience whereby this light shone down on me and it blinded me and my servants. And I had an overwhelming experience with this Christ that you persecute. And he said, and it changed my life forever where I had no choice but to, be, to, but to name him Lord, Master, and Savior of my life. Now, O King Agrippa, before these jokers can do anything, I want to see Caesar. But in the meantime, since I have your audience, let me tell you about his power. And he goes on to minister right before King Agrippa in the courts. And King Agrippa's like, you think you're so slick that you're going to win me over and convert me too? He said, well, yeah, I'm going for it. And now we're at chapter 27 because it ends up King Agrippa turns to Festus and says, Festus, if this dude didn't petition to go before Caesar, we have no reason to really keep him. But he said out of his own mouth he wants to see Caesar, and he said in front of all these people, you got to honor him. Paul had a plan, but he didn't realize what his plan was. But in the midst of getting to his destination, whether it was in Gwinnett County or to Italy, he was on his way. And so here we go. And this is more of an expository um, message that I'll be reading to you because it's just so much to be had in this um, 
in this story. So I'm going to read to you and start just reading the whole chapter from verse 27, verse 1. Now, and there's, there's going to be some points that's going to come up on the, uh, on the screen. What I encourage you to do if you have connected with the uh, Uversion uh, app, there are already notes. Those notes are in there. You could add your notes or you could refer, refer back to them. But I'll point to them, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time there for time's sake. But verse 27, starting in verse 1. Now, when it was determined that we, including Luke, should sail for Italy, they turned Paul. comes in play, huh? So now understand this. Oh, back on. Okay. So understand this. Luke is the one writing the book of Acts. Luke is actually the book of Acts. It wasn't really a letter. It was a recording of history. Luke was not a disciple, an apostle of Jesus. Everybody think because he wrote a few books there that he was traveling with Jesus. He wasn't. He was a doctor interested in research. He was invited or in, just in, 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 allured to this man named Jesus. And he says, I'm going to document all this stuff for history's sake because I'm a researcher. And so he ends up connecting himself to Paul. And he's with Paul while Paul goes through this journey. Even the storm. So now, it says here, now when it was determined that we, including Luke, should sail for Italy, they turned Paul and some other prisoners over to a centurion of the imperial regiment named Julius. So understand this. Number one, know whose storm you're in. Know whose storm you're in. Are you in your grown children's storm? Are you in your mama's storm? Are you in your daddy's storm? Are you in your neighbor's storm? Are you in your coworker's storm? If you're in someone's storm, understand that you're not in control of it. Your faith can impact it. Your testament can, uh, uh, can help it. But you are not in control of this storm. This was not Luke's storm. This was not Luke's situation. Luke could have got up and bounced. This was Paul's storm. If it's your storm, then strap up. But if it's not your storm, understand that. Do what you can, but understand that you determine how involved you want to be in someone else's storm. There's a situation going on in our own home. Our best, best, bestest friends. They're in a storm. They're in a situation called life. And we agreed that we are going to partner with them in this storm. And we would do everything we can, even have them move in with us as they go through their storm. But we know and understand we made this decision. So whatever comes our way, it's a result of the decisions that we made. And we're in this with them. But if something happened, we also know and understand, they know and understand that we also have the responsibility to make decisions if it became necessary to step outside of their storm. Don't allow anyone force you into their storm. But if you decide to partner with someone in their storm, understand you control 
how involved you're in. Amen. And going to broader ship from a drama theme, a drama theme, forgive some of the mispronunciations, which was about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, but out to sea, and Aristocritus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, accompanied us. Now check this, verse 3. The following day we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul in a loving way, with much consideration, kindness, and care, permitting him to go to his friends there and be refreshed and be cared for. Hold up, back up. Okay, this dude Julius was a centurion of the imperial regiment named Julius. In other words, this was the biggest, the baddest, the toughest, the strictest, the most successful soldier that they had to take all these prisoners over to Italy. This dude was known for holding it down. But yet, in the middle of this storm, as we're about to enter into this storm with Paul, it says here that he had much consideration, kindness, and care for Paul. Even in your storm, when it's looking dark and bleak, you still have favor. His promises didn't change because your circumstances did. He's still very much true, and he's a covenant honoring God. He's still very much vested in your success, even when it looks dark and bleak, even when the rain turns to ice. He's still very much on the throne, and he's still made available to you all of his resources, all of his promises, all of his son, all of his blood, all of his body, all of his word. And then... This second part of verse 3, which says, and permitting him to go to his friends there and be refreshed and be cared for. You have to have like faith believers surrounding you. Linked Up Church is all about small groups because we understand that life happens in small groups among people. We understand that when you're surrounded by like faith people, Iron sharpens iron. We understand that when you're involved and you're doing life together, that that storm, though it came and though it may be all mine, I'm surrounded by people that know and can determine how involved they want to get involved with me in the storm, if by nothing else but praying and encouraging me. So Paul had some people over here in Sidon that were waiting on him and that was there to refresh and care for him. So know and understand, number three, that it's important that you are surrounded by like-faith people. But also, the latter part of that, number four, it's okay to rest in the storm. It's okay when chaos is happening, when it looks crazy, when things are out of control, you don't have your pulse on all that's going on. A lot of times there's a whole lot of moving pieces. Doctors are telling you one thing. They administered this type of treatment. That treatment quite wasn't quite what it was. Infections show up, whatever the case may be. When you done all that you have could do, what does the scripture say to do? Just stand. And when you're standing, you might want to go ahead. I got to praise. I got to praise. I got to praise and I got to let it out. I got to praise. When Paul and Silas were locked up, there's nothing else they can do but what? Praise God. And it was in the midst of their praise that the chains were broken and the prison doors were opened. And after putting us from sea there, we passed to the leeward south side of Cyprus for protection, for the winds were contrary to us. Number five, realize that there are haters assigned to your victory. 
you have to realize there are haters assigned to your victory. It's funny how when you're going through something and, 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 and you know, first thing people remember is what they did for other people. And then, now this is not a, I'm not throwing shade, but it's, it's, it's true nevertheless. But when we're going through something, our first tendency is to think about what we did for other people and how that other person's not there now. And we, we want to make these determinations. And, and I understand the hurt. I understand the pain because you want to be surrounded with as much support, love, and care as you possibly can. But you got to understand that what you did for someone else was simply seed sown. And the harvest can show up through the most unlikeliest of people. But the seed is still the seed. And that person that you did something for wasn't responsible for your harvest. He is. And so those haters that are assigned to you, all they're doing is hating on the fact that you probably have more comfort, support, and love surrounding you than they did in their situation because they're still bitter about the person that left them and didn't do for them when they were in their situation. So just know that there's going to be naysayers. There's going to be people, not, and people well-intended, that's going to tell you, well, you know, I was in this situation, and, and this happened, and that happened. Verse 7, and there, no, verse 6, and there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship bound for Italy, and he transferred us to it. For the number of days we made slow progress and arrived with difficulty off of Snidus. Then, as the wind did not permit us to proceed, we went under the lee shelter of Crete of Sa off Salmon. Verse 6, where the centurion found an Alexandrian ship bound for Italy. No one understand that in the smallest of moments, in your least suspecting times, God is still working on your behalf. See, they started this trip off to Italy. And what you would consider, if you're from Florida or know anything about Florida, is hurricane season. They call it monsoon season. And monsoon season is roughly from what? Uh, I'd say May or so, April, May, until about October, where it rains almost every day right around 1 or 2 o'clock. And it, it dries up after a couple of hours if it's just the monsoon. And then the sun comes back up, dries it off, and then you go on about your day. But So they were in this stormy season. And they started off in this smaller ship. Julius, this heathen, didn't even know that he was taking actions that would benefit Paul. Because he switched over to this Alexandrian ship. And understand, the Alexandrian ship was the mother of ships. It was big. It was strong. It was built to last. It had capabilities of massive manpower at the bottom. It was beautiful and ornate because it was one of the ships that the king could possibly ride on. So Julius, not even realizing what he was done, decided to transfer a large number of people over to this other ship. Then it says, for a number of days we made slow progress and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. Number seven, understand that progress is progress as long as it's progress. It says here that they set out for sea for the number of days we made slow progress and arrived with difficulty off of Snidus. Then the wind did not permit us to proceed, so we went in under a shelter off Crete, of Crete, off Salmon. As long as you're moving in the right direction, keep moving. But if you find yourself in a situation that 
prevents you to move anymore. You've exhausted all that you know to do. You've done everything in the natural that you knew to do. You fasted. You prayed. You, you did the diet. You did the regimen. You, you, you went to counseling. You, you, whatever you did, you, you wrote a letter. You forgave them. You, whatever you did, and you've done all that you could do, then that's when you've got to go back to that same corner and say, I got to praise. I got to praise. I got to praise. Just stop. And let God be God. It says it was slow. Sometimes that progress is slow moving. Sometimes it takes forever. Sometimes, you know, I, I know a situation where a, a woman was, um, she, she had to leave her situation. So she's in a shelter right now. And she, it just felt like one day is like 12 days. And I know it might seem hard. Some of you are facing some situations where like, you're like, Oh, I just wish this would be over with already. But as long as you're moving in the right direction, progress is progress, be it fast or slow, as long as it's progress. Amen. Then, verse 8, and coasting along with it with difficulty, we arrived at a place called Fair Havens, near which is located the town of Lassia. But as the season was well advanced, for much time had been lost, and navigation was already dangerous from the time of the fast, the Day of Atonement, for about the beginning of October, had already gone by, Paul warned and advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive after careful observation that this voyage will be attended with disaster and much heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but of our lives also. However, the centurion paid greater attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. So for, from verses 8 through 11, we know and understand here, number 8, recognize your seasons and seek wisdom. Scripture tells us how there's safety in a multitude of counsel. So if you're in a situation and you're in this season, re recognize that it's a season, which means, guess what? It's temporary. Recognize the season and where you are in the season, but also seek wisdom. This was Paul's storm. This was Paul's situation. Nevertheless, he's still saying, hey, I perceived. Now, he didn't say God told him, but he just perceived. It was a bad time of season. The season was not conducive to big water travels. And he says, hey, if we keep going, we're going to suffer much loss. He's going off of natural wisdom. And sometimes wisdom is necessary, prevailing, and it helps you stomp out the detours of delay and getting to that destination. We started the same place, the exact same. We were parked right next to each other. Wisdom told him, let's just, let me endure what the route that's well-traveled, because the well-traveled road will help you get to your destination. Me going in these back roads, the back roads means what? They're less traveled. And that means what? When the rain freezes and falls, it's going to collect faster. And I tell you, I grew 200% in patience and long-suffering on that day. Some of y'all have witnessed my deliverance since that day. And so, and then in verse 11, I mean, well, not, you're further down in verse 11, be careful to whom you're listening. It says here, however, the centurion paid greater attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to the, what Paul said. 
kind of natural. It made sense. It makes sense to pay attention to the doctor because the doctor is more familiar with anatomy and chemistry and biology than you are. It makes sense to listen to the owner and the pilot of the ship, to the doctor. It makes sense to listen to the banker and the financial advisor. It might make sense to listen to the advice of the attorney. And it might. At the end of the day, you have to go with what God told you to do and the peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Now, picking it up in verse 14, and soon afterward, a violent wind of the character of a typhoon called a northeaster came bursting down from the island. And when the ship was caught and was unable to head against the wind, he gave up. We gave up and letting her drift were born alone. Verses 14 through 15, no one understands. Sometimes in storms, especially when other people are involved, it might get worse before it gets better. Sometimes when we're believing God, specifically when this is dealing with other people and we decide to partner with them, we partook with them in this storm, your faith is not what's in control. So therefore, sometimes it gets harder, darker before it gets better. Sometimes I know, you know, especially when you're dealing with someone that's wayward, whether that wayward person is a husband or a wife or a child or whoever, a lot of times you just got, it's painful to watch them hit rock bottom, but we know rock bottom is necessary. Did not change your destination. Italy is still the destination. Home is still the destination. Winning is still the destination. Victory is still the destination. Amen. Verse 18, as we were going, being dangerously tossed about by the violence of the storm, the next day they began to throw the freight overboard, and the third day they threw out with their own hands, the ship's equipment, tackle and the furniture, everything. And when neither sun nor stars were visible for many days, no small tempest kept raging about us. All hope of our being saved was difficultly abandoned. Verse 21, and as they had eaten nothing for a long time, Paul came forward in their midst and said, men, you should have listened to me. I told you. And should have put, not put out to sea from Crete and, bought on, and brought on this disaster and harm and misery and loss. Number 11, despite the casualties of storm, no one understands casualties of storm happen. It does. This is, storms have casualties. Storm has happenings. Sometimes there are people, while you're going through your situation, while you're going through your storm, while life is happening to us, it seems the least likely time that people want to bust up and leave. And it's a casualty. And all you can do is say, bye, Felicia. And keep it moving. There might be loss. There might be a time where you just have to hit reset. It doesn't change victory. It doesn't change the destination. It doesn't change winning. It doesn't change, or nor should it change, ultimately, your effort to go from victory in the midst of going towards victory. And then it goes on to say in verse 22, But even now I beg you to be in good spirits and take heart, for there will be no loss among you but only of the ship. For this very night there stood by my side an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve and worship. And he said, don't be frightened, Paul. It's necessary. It's necessary. I said it's necessary for you to stand before Caesar and behold, God has given you all those who are sailing with you. So keep your courage, men. 
for I have faith, complete confidence in God that it will be exactly as it was told to me. Understand, even though you might have lost friends, even though you might have lost face, even though you might be shamed and guilt. Because understand, in the midst of storms, sometimes storms come because of our own decisions. Sometimes storms come because of our own indiscretions. And understand that even though those things might happen, even though someone might tell us that they don't trust us no more because we very well deserve it, even though situations happen, even though the one that we didn't vote for ended up in the office or the one we did vote for ends up in the office, but everybody don't like it, you still win. It didn't change your destination. It didn't change your victory. It didn't change where you're going. In fact, God is so good that he'll use that situation to propel you into victory. God is so good that he'll cause that remnant of people to see the good that's in you and give you that chance. Many of y'all, many of y'all didn't know what was happening behind closed doors, but yet you saw a glimpse of the goodness of God that was still in us, and you still gave us that chance. Even though others were saying we would lied, even though others were trying to perpetuate lies, all it takes is that like-faith people to surround you, and you get in that situation while you're in the midst of that storm, and you pray, and then God sends his angel to comfort and affirm in you, don't worry, son, I know you're fearing for your life right now. Don't worry, baby girl, I know they hurt you and they abandoned you. Don't worry, sweetie, I know you don't know where the next penny is coming from. Don't worry, I know that doctor gave you a negative report. Don't worry, I know they say the statistics against you. Don't worry, because I'm still making making sure you get before Caesar. I'm still making sure you get before the king. I'm still making sure you still win. And then he goes on to say down in verse 30, and as the sailors were trying to escape secretly from the ship and were lowering the small boat to the sea, pretending that they were going to lay out the uh, anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men remain on the ship, you can't be saved. Now, verse 32 goes on saying the soldiers cut away the rope that held the small boat, and it fell and drifted away. No one understands, saints, you cannot misplace your hope in your faith. See, what happened here is these sailors, they had bumped into a smaller ship while they were on the journey, and they took that small ship. They said, oh, we might need that a little later because we're still at sea, and it's looking kind of crazy right about now. So let's bring this ship on just in case. You know, plan B. The backup. And they had attached that ship to the big Alexandrian ship. And then now it's getting really bad. It's getting really nasty. The darkest, is, the darkest hour has come. The, t the, the, the storm is, I mean, wailing. It's beating up the ship. And these dudes are like, yeah, we're going to let down the anchors while we're conveniently stepping onto this little boat and getting away. Paul didn't have to see him. Paul just said, hey, if these men leave, we all go. See, once you've attached yourself to a storm, whether it's your storm or, or you find yourself in the midst of a storm, Sometimes you got to ride it out. There's no bailout plan. There's no shortcut. And people make the storm worse a lot of times by trying to find a shortcut. But you cannot 
You cannot misplace your hope and your faith. There was a plan B, but all that plan B did was give you a 50% out for God's ultimate victory in your life. And what ends up happening a lot of times is we get 50% of the victory. Because we settled on plan B, knowing and asking ourselves about the what ifs. The what ifs. I should have, I could have, perhaps if I would have. Then, continuing on, verse 33. And they waited until it became day. Paul entreated them all to take some food, saying, This is the 14th day that you have been continually in suspense and on alert without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge, warn, exhort, encourage, and advise you to take some food for your safety. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any one of you. Mind you, didn't he just say that they were in the middle of a Eurocladen, a northeaster, the greatest of storms, the Mac Daddy of storms, the 100-year storm, the 2,000-year storm? They're in the middle of it. And he's like, uh, yeah, you should eat, because not a hair on your That's when you're coming from victory. Oh, yeah, let me eat. Depression is not going to come into my house. Anger is not going to come into my house. Frustration is not going to overtake me. Sleeplessness is not going to overtake me. Sometimes people lose weight over the worst of situations. Understand, that's the time that you want to have your sustenance about you because you still have to take care of that natural body. But nevertheless, he says here, take food and eat. So number 15, resist temptation, resist frustration, resist hopelessness, resist fear, resist doubt. Understand, when you're coming from victory, a lot of times your place, you're coming from victory means that I am firmly planted on what I believe. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I have more than enough according to his glory in Jesus' name. I can do all things through Christ in Jesus' name. I, you're coming from these declarations are true, but at the same time, your emotions and your mind is going to tilt. And that's where you have to force out. You have to evict fear. You have to evict doubt. You have to evict frustration. You have to evict depression. You have to evict, you have to evict addiction. That's when you run from the bottle. That's when you run from the smoke. That's when you run from the porn, because it's in those situations that you're really about to find out who's God and who's the source of your comfort. Resist all of that in the midst of your storm. And now we continue on, verses 37. He says here, all told there were 276 souls of us in the ship. Understand that your storm is for someone else's encouragement. Your faith is to feed someone else's faith. So don't think it's all about you sometimes because there are eyes watching you all the time. Known and unknown. There are people watching to see if your God is really real. There's people watching to see if your praise is really about to show up. There's people watching to see how sure are you about your victory. And they're watching because either they're going to make a decision to make a mockery of you or they're going to make a decision to join you. And you best believe if you stand firm and you go back to that first giant, understand that God loves you, that they're about to join the party, baby. Because when you're coming from victory, you can't help but everyone loves a winner. 
everyone, I found myself one year, Michigan was just out of it. They were not contending for anything. And I had to swallow my pride and say, well, Michigan State is still in it. And that was the one year that I was like, okay, I'm cheering for. Fill in the blanks. Everyone loves a winner. When you're coming from victory, it's just a matter of you walking it out, knowing that you, you might be hating on me now. It's all right. Forgive them for they know not what they do. But be glorified, Father. That's when you boast about setting that table before them in the presence of your enemies. Amen. There was 276 people on that boat. Only one person there that this was all about, and that was Paul. The one stabilizing the entire boat. One person does make a difference. One person can make a difference. Verse 39. Now, when it was day and, all this, uh, and they saw the land, they did not recognize it, but they noticed a bay with a beach on it, and they, uh, which they took counsel, taking counsel, proposed to run the ship ashore if they possibly could. So they cut the cables, they severed the anchors, and left them in the sea, at the same time unlashing the ropes that held the rudders and hoisting the foresail of the wind, and they headed for the beach. But striking a cross current, a place where the two seas, they ran the ship aground, and prow stuck fast and remained un immovable, and the stern began to break up under the violent, of the violent force of the waves. Now here, number 17, with reckless abandonment, be willing to let everything go but your faith. Be willing to let everything go but your faith. I don't care, we, I don't care what it looks like. Your faith is the anchor that will get you, to, get you through every and any situation. Life isn't about walking this big golden road of success. Life is about being able to overcome failure. There's an old proverb that says, a, a good man falls seven times but get up eight. So know and understand that life happens and people strive to keep that house. They borrow, beg, and steal to keep that house. Sometimes you just got to let it go. I know people, y'all know people too, that will move a car five, six different places to stop it from being impounded. People on SoundCloud, don't you be nobody's safe haven so they can hide their car from repossession. Y'all laughing because y'all like, oh, yeah, I remember when. <laughs> Some, you just got to let it go. Let, if it does not pertain to your faith, let it go. Job didn't have a choice. It was taken. And once he said, you know what, I heard of you, God, but now I see you for my own self. It was all given back to him two times as much. Amen. Verse, picking up at 43, uh, 43. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, prevented their carrying out their purpose because they were planning to kill all the prisoners. But this big, bad centurion said, no, we got to save Paul. He commanded those who could swim to throw themselves overboard first and make for the shore, and the rest on heavy boards or pieces of the vessels. And so it was that all escaped safely to land. I'm going to wrap it up here. Understand this, that when the storms of life happens, sometimes there are those of us that can go through it 
with our heads held high. And that's good. That doesn't mean your faith was stronger. doesn't mean that anything about you was greater except God showed up big on your life. And, so, and, and, and many of us handle things differently. But in the King James Version, it says, those that were able to swim, he said, hey, jump overboard and swim to shore because you're close enough. And some of us are able to just swim to shore. We're able to get there ourselves. But some of us, and your King James says, some of them had to hold on to broken pieces. When life hits, and like I said earlier, that notion of coming from victory is hard because it hurt. The loss is great. The pain is real. I'm without. Everybody knows. I'm embarrassed. I am shamed. I feel guilty. I let my kids down. This couldn't have happened or wouldn't have happened if I didn't do this. And when you feel like you've left it all out there, God is still able to get you to your victory, even if it's on broken pieces. God is still able to manifest his glory in your life, even if it's on broken pieces. Even if everything seems fragmented, it did not change your destiny. It did not change your destination. It did not change you winning. It did not change your victory. It did not change where God intended you to be. It never changed his will. It didn't change you being the one that overcomes the world. And now when we go full circle, back to how much he loves us, back to coming to, from this place of victory, back to having this swag about us, back to this notion that God has already given us the victory, back to praising him in the midst of our circumstances, back to that sacrifice of praise, back to exactly where Pastor Gregory was last week, understanding this place from victory. I love how the message interpretation puts this. We can go back to Romans chapter 8. Turn there with me right now. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. And when the hardest has been hit, when it seems the lowest has been reached, when it seems like the most difficult is at hand, even when it seems like all is lost, when you understand that I still win, no matter what, the victory is mine. You can't take me out, Satan. I'm still standing. You thought you knocked me down, but I, 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 my feet are glued. I bounced right back up. Verse 35 in the, in the message, it says here, Say, now why you don't want to cooperate with me? So, what do you think? Verse 31. With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition as we are, raggedy, busted, and hurt, and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with his chosen? Would, who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised, raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. 
There is no trouble. There is no hard times. There's no hatred. There's no hunger. There's no homelessness. There's no bullying. There's no threats. There's no backstabbing. Not even the worst. There's no election situation. There's no job situation. There's no home situation. There's no hurt situation. There's no doctor's report. Nothing. The worst list listed in scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They put us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living, nothing dead, no angel, no demonic, nothing today or nothing coming tomorrow, nothing high or nothing low, nothing thinkable or nothing unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between God's love because of the way Jesus, our master, has embraced us. No one understands. He's not looking for your perfection. He's looking to perfect you in him. So when you're coming from this place of victory, when you know that I've won, it might look ugly, but you can go on ahead and proclaim we're going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. If God is for me, who can stand against me? And it's not that God is for me because of my errors. It's because I decided when my focus is on him, when my eyes are set on him, when I'm concentrating on his commandments, when everything about me is focused on him, I'm on his side. And if I'm on his side, he's got a gate round about me that Satan cannot befall. There's a trench that no evil in hell can overcome. And that's when we can boldly proclaim that no weapon, no weapon, no weapon, threats, bullying, racism, brutality, violence, no weapon that is formed against me will ever, he says, prosper. In other words, it won't overcome me. Because what did he say in 1 John 5? He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God overcometh the world.